because today the Supreme Court listened to arguments in a case um, that they are expected to take up and it's not very cool. Let's pop up the Washington Post article there, Colin. So the case is more v harper and according to uh this piece in the post what more v harper does it challenges the north carolina supreme court's decision to replace a partisan congressional map with one judge uh with one that judges found more in tune with the state constitution's guarantees of free and allegedly fair elections uh this case has drawn numerous an enormous and strident interest, mostly from critics warning the justices that they are about to make a big mistake. Okay, so the crux of this case is that the North Carolina legislature wants the ability to oversee every single aspect of state elections and not even beyond state elections, but to vastly expand the powers of the state legislature. And the word legislature is going to be the crux of whether or not uh, the, the, the justices decide to rule in the favor of um, the North Carolina Republicans. So the other aspect of this, hold on, I'm trying to find my, my paragraph where I had uh, the things already pre-selected. But this is going to expand the possibility of further gender marrying, uh, gender manner gerrymandering lord <laughs> with very little recourse um from the legislatures or pardon me very little recourse from the courts this is actually a system or a proposed radical change to the ways that state elections are being held and basically what it does is give overwhelming power to state legislatures and not giving a lot of redress in the courts pertaining the outcome of elections and where a lot of people are concerned has to do um, with the political climate of election deniers, most of whom aligned with former president Donald Trump. And the concerns that civil rights organizations have is that should the court rule in favor of, of this decision by the North Carolina Republicans, by the North Carolina GOP, uh, that the will of the people could be more easily overridden. If you have a state legislature that has already decided <laughs> that who, who the winner is, regardless of whatever the vote tally happens to be, you could put the election in, in serious jeopardy. And to me, this is what the eroding and the 2013 Supreme Court decision of Shelby County versus Holder, this is what that has brought us. This is the further evolution or devolution, depending on your perspective, devolution of democracy is what happens when you have people that are making decisions based on basically non-white people getting expanded access to the ballot box and, and asserting the powers to vote. After the election, of Barack Obama in 2008, it was very clear that the Republicans, in addition to attacking abortion rights, that Republicans had voting rights firmly in their crosshairs. And it's really telling to see how far specifically Republicans are willing to go. Because when you look at the Voting Rights Act, 
George Bush reauthorized the Voting Rights Act. George W. Bush. I bought both, both, both Bushes, I believe. Actually, it was definitely W and definitely Reagan reauthorized the Voting Rights Act every single time and it came up. And most times it would pass Congress with an overwhelming majority. But when Obama got elected, nope. <laughs> oh, that, that one person, one vote, mm, that's just going to be a problem. Not if they keep electing these donkeys. We can't. We cannot allow that. <laughs> Little did they know Obama was an outstanding op. And we'll get to that when we talk about the black misleadership portion of the program. But nonetheless, the attacks and the erosions of voting rights, which ultimately impact black Americans and non-white Americans continues to, to unfold. And if you thought the Supreme Court was done with, with Dobbs versus uh, Jackson, Jackson Health Clinic, nope. <laughs> N-O. Um, the, the, the GOP has got its people in place. It's got its, its, its chess pieces situated on the board exactly where they need them to be. And it almost does not matter whether or not the GOP has control of the White House. They got control of these courts. And that is where we are seeing Americans, specifically black Americans rights, go away, <laughs> they go away. And it's wild to me, again, as a black person, to see voting rights go away under the black president or have voting rights severely eroded under the black president. Again, as a woman, as a, particularly as a black woman, to see in 2022 abortion rights in effect go away for everybody under a democratic president and a democratically controlled Congress. This is why I get frustrated with electoral politics, everybody, because at the end of the day, the, the power people don't need the election. You understand? They don't, they don't need to adhere to the will of the people because they already control all the levers of power. So it's kind of um, a moot point, but let's get back to these arguments because um, Justice Kagan, Elena Kagan, who I always feel her questions and even her opinions to be extremely thoughtful and, and well-articulated. She sounded a bit alarmed <laughs> at, at what the potential uh, for the Supreme Court case and the outcome of it could be. So the Washington Post snipped a, a couple of minutes of Justice Kagan's questions, and let's take a listen to what she had to say. It, um, it would uh, say that if a legislature engages in the most extreme forms of gerrymandering, um, there is no state constitutional remedy for that, even if the courts think that that's a violation of the Constitution. It would say that legislatures could enact all manner of restrictions on voting, get rid of all kinds of <coughs> voter protections that the state constitution in fact prohibits. Uh, it might allow the legislatures to insert themselves, to give themselves a role in the certification of elections and, and, um, uh, and, and, and the way election results are um, calculated. So, um, and in all these ways, I think what might strike a person is that uh, this is a proposal that gets rid of the normal checks and balances on the way um, big governmental decisions are made in this country. And, and you might think that it gets rid of all those checks and balances at exactly the time when they are needed most. Because legislators, we all know, have their own self-interest. They want to get reelected. And so there are countless times when they have incentives to suppress votes, to dilute votes, to negate votes, to prevent 
um, voters from having true access and true opportunity to engage the political process. Justice Elena Kagan there during arguments for the case out of North Carolina that could radically affect the way that elections in this country are fundamentally certified, the way that political districts are drawn. And what we're trying to hear here, or at least what the proponents of this case argue, is that the states, according to the Constitution, that is, that the use of the Constitution's uh, referencing of legislature is going to be uh, really interesting, the way the justices are going to interpret this, because what the proponents of this case are trying to argue is that the states themselves have sole authority over everything, Not, not just the states, specifically the state legislatures. And if an election does not go their way, or if there are challenges to the ways in which their political voting maps are drawn, well, tough shit, uh, the, the, the state legislature has spoken and there will be no redress for you. And I want us to, to go back a bit and hear some of the origins of basically the, the, the caller is calling from inside the house. The people that have been appointed to the nation's highest courts are not always the ones there to uphold democracy and freedom. These people have political agendas. And for anyone to think that the Supreme Court of the United States <laughs> as an apolitical body, woo, uh, is a damn fool, <laughs> is, is, is the bottom line. And I think the Dobbs decision and Citizens United decisions definitely help to concrete that. Make no mistake, the, the Supreme Court is 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 an agent and, and a tool in an apparatus of the bourgeoisie and the oligarchs to make sure that the peons, us, that our, our rights continue to be usurped. And so, so long as the interests of the elite continue to be served, then that's really all that matters. Democracy what? Um, Constitution who? Yeah, they're not concerned about that. Um, let's go back and, and, and revisit some of the <laughs> the 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 predecessors for this latest Supreme Court. And by the way, y'all, because this court is so heavily tilted to the right, something like this could easily be ruled on by the Supreme Court that would continue to further erode people's access to the ballot box and whether or not elections go the way they ought to with the person who has the most votes being declared the winner. That's, that almost sounds like an optional thing. You know, you can look even at this most recent election, the Senate election runoff in Georgia. Look at the areas and where you saw the longest lines. Look at the areas. And and by the way, voting sounds extremely restrictive in Georgia. It sounds like it's a very onerous process. And that is not by accident. That's not a mistake when you have a state that has one of the highest percentages of black residents in the country. Of course, they want to make it arduous to vote. And this is just an, a, a, an extension of the long American tradition of making sure that the the only people they want to vote are um, what? <laughs> the what? Uh, wealthy, you know, preferably classed, you know, middle and upper, you know, the, 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 lower, the lower class whites, eh, you know, that, that, that's who they throw the red meat to to get them all pissed off about the ticker jabs, <laughs> ticker jabs, right? That's what they throw to the lower, to the, to, the, to the racist lower class whites, of course. I'm not trying to be so classist and generalizing here. You guys know we're all friends, but you know, 
you know. But anyway, so it'll be interesting. And please, I am not putting anything past this court because why? The GOP has been playing the long game for a very long time. You heard there in that clip, Chief Justice Roberts has made a career of opposing the Voting Rights Act and trying to take out some of the bite, take out some of the teeth, which he was successfully able to do in his opinion in 2013. The only thing I agreed with that court on regarding that decision, again, I did not agree with the decision, but Roberts and Scalia did ask interesting questions. They were like, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Well, if, if it is it more racist to vote in North Carolina than it is, for example, in New York or in Ohio? There's a lot of states, red and blue across this country, that do things to disenfranchise Black voters and to suppress the Black vote. And that, I thought, was a very fair question. But the answer was not to throw preclearance away altogether. Make, maybe make all the states come to the Department of Justice when they want to make changes to their election laws. Because we know the way America is framed. Um, the non-white vote is always marginalized and they don't want it to turn out, right? So when it turns out, as we just saw in this Georgia Senate election and with the election of Obama and fuck, even this bastard Joe Biden in, in, in 2020, uh, when black people decide to show up and vote, uh, they, they, can be, they, they can absolutely use their power as a voting block to, to shift the outcome of elections. I mean, fuck, that's part of the how. How they got rid of Bernie in <laughs> that South Carolina primary, but we're not going to trip off old shit today. We're not going to trip off old shit today. So you guys be watching, be watching that case, be listening out for the arguments there. Shout out to my people that's checking in in the chat. What's going on, aggressive progressive? I see you, Big Teal. I see you, Paul XBSOG. Thank you guys for checking in. Uh, Big Teal, I saw you say, I'm on, you know, I'm only half ass watching the chat, but as big deal, I saw you say females question mark <laughs> who asked something about females. Do I even really want to know? Hello, Nat. Thank you all fire fam for coming through. Thank you all so much. Um, you know, one thing I really cannot stand trigger warning for sexual assault, child, sexual assault, rape, police violence, police brutality. One thing I hate are rapers. Okay. I, I believe that there should be some sort of, and I'm speaking for myself here, the, the views set forth by Kim Brown do not reflect that of status quo. I think there should be some sort of vigilante justice for people who commit rape and sexual assault, particularly those who harm children, okay? Um, the criminal justice system in America is not up to the task, whether or not intentionally or unintentionally. It, we, we cannot say the police lack funding in order to track down and prosecute rapists because the police are funded to the fucking gills, right? There shouldn't be a rapist child molester walking around these goddamn streets relative to the amount of money that police suck up in state budgets, city budgets, especially when you compare how much these same cities and states spend on public health and public education. The cops get all the fucking money and the Biden administration has doubled down to make sure that's the case. Now, what we don't talk about usually as a country um, are, is the amount of harm that police actually cause okay um police officers are at in, in among other professions high stress professions alleged high stress professions police have a higher rate of um abusing their partners domestically and this issue about rape and sexual assault i don't even know to what extent these statistics are even tracked but as somebody that watches the news cycle i have to say over the past let's say three weeks where we are here december 7th yeah end of october beginning november i saw a a story 
about a cop being accused of rape and sexual assault. And over the next couple of weeks, I saw several, <laughs> I saw several stories. I said, God damn, if this was MSNBC, maybe this would be reported as some sort of epidemic, right? There seems to be an outbreak of law enforcement officers being accused of sexual assault. Now, knowing what we know about the ways that rape and sexual assault are reported and or not reported, we know that an overwhelmingly number of, of rapes and sexual assaults are never reported, right? And out of the ones that do get reported, a fraction of them are ever thoroughly investigated to the point where they end up in either arrests or prosecutions, which is why I found that these stories of these polices being credibly accused of uh, sexual assault and or rape and being arrested for such, I said, oh, they must have had evidence, evidence. <laughs> it, it, it was not sim simply just the victim coming forward uh, with, with, with their account of, of the events. No, like these police must have been d d doing it, doing it. Okay, so let's start with the beginning. So this case, this is going to be the NBC News piece there, Colin. Everybody saw this. This made national news. Ex-Virginia state trooper posed as teen for sextortion catfishing of girl whose family he killed. You know, I might have led with ex-Virginia state trooper kills family of 14-year-old he catfished and groomed um, for his own sexual gratification. Okay, we know the story, again, because this one made national news because of how horrific and egregious it was. In case you were not familiar, um, let's see, Justin Lee Edwards, 28 years old, a former state trooper with the Virginia State Police, presented himself to this 14-year-old girl living in California as though he himself were a teen. And Justin drove all the way from Virginia to California, kidnapped the girl, and killed her mother and her grandparents, okay? The 14-year-old was able to escape from his clutches and he ended up dying in a shootout with police. Wow. And 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 that's that's not a standalone story. Let's go to the next one because I got a because I got a list of these. This next state this case coming out of Indiana. Is that the one I have up next? The War uh yep. Warwick County Sheriff's deputy faces rape charges. This sheriff's deputy is charged with two counts of rape. Um, thankful. Oh, I can't say thankfully, Jesus. I was going to say thankfully these these were not committed whilst on the job. But really, does does it matter where where they happen? No, it absolutely does not matter uh, where these assaults occurred. So the 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 details surrounding this is that the sheriff's deputy had an acquaintance, okay, whom he reached out to. They they were they were friends or friendly. And he reached out to her after he ended a relationship that he was in. And when they went out on a date, the victim alleges that this sheriff's deputy told her while in their car, he, he allegedly assaulted her more than once and told her that she had 30 seconds to comply with his sexual advances. Now, the story that I found, it does not go on to say whether or not he threatened, you know, you have 30 seconds to comply unless I start shooting. I'm not really sure. But if I'm in the presence or God, you're, she's in the custody of this cop, even though he was not on the job, 
when this happened, not part of me, not not on duty. He was actually definitely still working for uh, the Ward County Sheriff's Department. But because he was not on duty when this happened, that doesn't matter. I still would be scared shitless if a cop directed me to do anything and I refused because I would feel as though I didn't really have a right to refuse um, the police, okay? And this person, his name is Deputy Jared Stuckey. And Deputy Stuckey has been arrested. He is already out on bail. And according to this piece here by WEVV.com, the, the victim went to the hospital the same night of the assault. Detectives came to the hospital and they found her account to be very credible. It was a relatively short investigation. And I do want to credit um, the, the Evansville police. Is this Evansville police, I believe, or in the proximity they're in? For, for, for taking this, these allegations seriously and not trying to put up some bullshit thin blue wall, which we all know happens a lot. Happens a lot. Um, the next one, where are we going next? Because there's, there's several. Oh, let's go to Salt Lake County. Let's go to Utah. Because this story is pretty interesting because this is actually not a cop being charged with rape and sexual assault. Rather, he is being sued along with the Salt Lake County Sheriff's Academy because a current employee, a woman employee with the Salt Lake County Sheriff's Deputy's Office, like I said, this person is currently employed, the, the, the victim, alleges that this trainer at the Sheriff's Academy sexually assaulted her several times while she was there in 2021 receiving her training. And this individual, hold on, I think his name is Brendan, let me, I'm sorry. There's a lot of, there's a lot of tabs open here, guys, bear with me. But this individual actually had the, was not fired um, from the Salt Lake County training Academy. In fact, they were allowed to resign in connection with an, um, an, an internal affairs investigation that concluded that he likely sexually assaulted another person. Okay. So he was allowed to resign, didn't get fired. And I'm not clear. It does not appear so far as though charges have been filed against them. So this victim who has chosen to remain anonymous has filed suit against him and her actual employer for allowing this predatory multiple, multiple serial abuser to remain on the job and to put her in, in a situation where she felt as though she did not have any right to refuse again. The power dynamics here that police wield as agents of the state, they are allowed to extort, coerce, or simply take by force sexual gratification. And I, I won't even just say from women. I can only imagine the amount of male victims, rape victims that there are out there who are just simply too afraid to come forward because of stigma. And again, because of fear of police retaliation. Let's go to that New Orleans story because, you know, it wasn't just the Virginia state police guy who seemingly had a thing for 14 year olds. Nope. This cop in New Orleans, former cop in New Orleans has a, a pled down and agreed to take seven years in jail for contacting, grooming, and sexually assaulting a 14-year-old minor over the course of several months. And you could look at all these cases and see that they are from different regions of the country. You may not even be able to draw a connection, but please be assured they are connected. 
because there is a, a pattern of practice of hiring misogynistic, racist, homophobic, transphobic people. It's almost like that's who they intentionally go out and recruit. <laughs> like you have to be a white supremacist asshole in order to be police. And if you're not willing to either actually be a white supremacist, you better be willing to stand adjacent to it and uphold it no matter what. And all of these systems of oppression, if you're willing to engage in racism, then you're willing to engage in the oppression of women, then you're willing to engage into the oppression of the LGBTQ community. Like, I, I, I am tired of these tyrants getting our public dollars and, and given guns and, and given the right to execute people on the street for failure to comply or whatever that is. And you see that they take these same predatory, abusive behaviors that they utilize on the job, no doubt, but they take them into their private lives as well. Well, in you know, three out of four cases, right? They take them into their private lives as well and are absolute terrors and menaces. And when are we going to look at the problem of sex abuse and the enabling of sex abusers in law enforcement departments as a public health crisis. Rape is a public is a, is, a, is a public health crisis. Rape culture in this country exists. I could do rape stories every single day. And, and I, the reason I don't is because I can't. I, 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 I literally, I lack the emotional bandwidth because I see these stories all the time and I understand how pervasive this is. But I think it is high time that the media covers these stories with the same breathlessness as they do shoplifting ring stories with the same breathlessness as they do the, the fentanyl crisis with that same breathlessness because why should public servants be free to abuse the public it's an extension of the police brutality that we see black people endure in non non-white folks and you know Women, you got to endure it too. Oh, by the way, I think there, anyway, I talked about this on my show a couple of weeks ago about the dozens of black men in Milwaukee years ago who filed a class action lawsuit against the Milwaukee Police Department for sexual assault because when they would stop and frisk these black men, they, they, would, they would penetrate them anally, right? With their, with their fingers, with whatever, and, you know, just violate them in very gross and demeaning ways. And these men filed a lawsuit and they were victorious. But I wonder if the Milwaukee Police Department is still engaging in those kinds of practices. Something tells me that they definitely are. So uh, just be aware of that. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm I'm give you guys a peek behind the curtain. So, you know, the, I, I, I text with Jordan, um, trying to figure out what our topics are going to be, right? And to be to be clear and to be fair, Jordan tells me I can talk about whatever I want to talk about. Um, but status quo is more um, on top of the news cycle than I am on my channel, right? Because I, I don't break news. <laughs> I do I do not. Uh, we do not break the news over on Burning Down with Kim Brown. We we try to amplify stories that I think. Um, were either underreported or did not get enough attention or it's shit that never got reported on in the mainstream at all, but went viral somehow on social media. That, those are the kind of stories that I try to go to. So I, I didn't have, <laughs> I did not have any recap of this Georgia Senate election on my rundown. I had no intentions of covering it, but I was going to cover that Tommy, that Tommy ass dude. Van Jones, who uh going to apologize to white folks on behalf of Black America regarding Kanye West. We'll get to that in a second. So 
when Jordan asked, was I going to cover this? I said, eh, <laughs> I wasn't planning on it, but I think it fits. It absolutely fits within the segment because when you look at this race, this Senate race, which the Democrats spent, well, not just Democrats, I believe cumulatively almost half a billion dollars, $400 million spent uh, on advertisement in the state of Georgia, Georgia pertaining this runoff election. Obama, they had Obama down. Obama just moved down to Atlanta. <laughs> Obama been in Atlanta for six whole weeks, uh, showing up every everywhere, right? So, so the Democrats were super, super invested in getting this this race won. And the Republicans, once it was determined that, you know, the, the balance of power in the Senate would not be uh, made nor broken by the outcome of this election, perhaps Republicans took their foot off the gas a little bit. And then at the end of the day, Herschel was not a good candidate. And hold on, before we get deep into the woods, let's pop up that, that Herschel concession speech. Because truthfully, I thought it was going to be way funnier than what it was. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was going to be hilarious. But truthfully, Herschel seemed a little subdued by this, right? I, I, I saw him more hyped up challenging those domestic violence allegations against him and all the many stories of him paying for abortion services for his partners. I saw him way more energized then but i see he seems a little bit deflated now Herschel really thought he had a chance and god damn it i guess technically he did have a chance but let's check out a snippet of Herschel walker's concession speech so i want to say i'm never going to stop fighting for georgia so i want to say i'm never going to stop fighting for georgia i'm never going to stop fighting for you because you're my family because i always Oh, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm a winner. Hey, we all winners. So we're all winners. And that's what I want to say. We're all winners. And I want to say God is a good God. God bless you guys. And let me tell you, stay together. Continue to believe in our elected official. Always, always cast your vote, no matter whatever is happening. Cast your vote for all that. And God we trust. I do. And God we trust. Continue to cast your vote. Never, never, never give up. All right. God bless you guys. Thank you guys. Now, thank you. All right. God bless you guys. <laughs> God, God bless all you guys and pray for your elected officials. Yes, Lord. So there's Herschel. Hopefully uh, we're seeing Herschel's swan song there where it pretends to him being politically active. I, I don't want to see or hear anymore from, from Herschel Walker, but I'm about to show you guys the issue that I have with this whole scenario with whichever which which black candidate was most palatable to georgia voters and by the way the fact that herschel was even the nominee for the georgia republicans to me just tells me everything i need to know about what they expect of black people and the kind of black people that they are comfortable supporting <laughs> you you have to be a stepping and fetching cool ass uncle tom who can't half-ass talk who cannot articulate sentences and thoughts in any meaningful way who enables or or embodies the very negative stereotypes that racist white americans have about black men is that they are absent fathers they are beaters they you know run a busload of broads to the abortion clinic like herschel embodies the absolute worst the worst of what people perceive black men to be okay he is just awful 
and the Republicans told me everything I needed to know about what they think of black folks by the fact that I'm not racist. I want Herschel to be up there. Okay, you want Herschel half half ass can't talk and ass all, all the way up there. And mind you, sometimes I half ass can't talk, but God damn it, <laughs> when when the racists start supporting me, then we have some problems. Oh, let's go to so we we got some super chats real quick. Come through, Prentice. Prentice threw up $10. Thank you so much for your super chat support and said, Greg Palace has done great work exposing the GOP voter suppression. See his documentary, Best Democracy Money Can Buy. I have been following Greg. Thank you so much for that super chat, dearest. And yes, I've been following Greg Palace's work for uh, the better part of a decade, but Greg Palace has been on this and I will check out the documentary. I've not seen it yet, um, but I'm extremely familiar um, with, with his extensive reporting on that. And thank you, uh, mystery of seven for your super chat. Appreciate that. Thank you guys very much. Play let, let, let's queue up that campaign ad for Raphael Warnock. So this was my big problem. Okay. With, with Warnock versus Walker. Because when it comes to the interest, and I'm sorry, guys, I it, 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 I, I talk about race uh, because that's how America is framed. Okay, from, from from its very inception, America has always viewed its citizenry, the rights therein, through the lens of race. Okay, it wasn't black people because sometimes people be like, why everything gotta be about race? Okay, it wasn't black people segregating the bathrooms and the goddamn water fountains. Okay, <laughs> that 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 we we were not making everything about race. Uh, the ruling white supremacist class was making everything about race. And truthfully, if you are non-white, most of your experience is based around race and your and how you were treated within different institutions. So when I look at Raphael Warnock, Democrat, and Herschel Warnock, uh, Herschel Warnock, Her Herschel Walker, Republican, I see almost the same Bama, okay? I know Reverend Warnock is a, a brilliant scholar, theologian, et cetera, et cetera. But he wants to uphold all the principles of the empire, same as Herschel Walker. He wants to maintain U.S. military hegemony around the world. So does Herschel Walker. <laughs> uh, the, where they differ is obviously on the area and the issue of abortion. But, 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 but it's going to be hard for that Biden, you know, for this new Congress, for the Biden White House to get abortion codified in the federal law when they don't have the House. Right. And it's nice. It's cute. It's cute. They got the Senate. But good luck getting such a bill passed through the House. And we'll see how that goes. And that's why I have no confidence in, in Democrats whatsoever, because all my rights seem to be going away under Democrat elected officials. But anyway, let's get to one of the ads. And this was just one of uh, at least two or three that Raphael Warnock ran to show his support for law enforcement. Let's take a look. Hey, I'm Alfonso Williams of the Burke County Sheriff's Office, and we're glad to be here with the Reverend Senator Raphael Warnock. Uh, I am here to meet with the Senator to tell him how much rural law enforcement appreciates the Investment uh, Act, the bill that will help uh, sheriffs and chiefs and law enforcement with mental health issues, will help pay for college for uh, law enforcement persons who wish to go back to to study. The Senator really gets that we often in rural areas get swallowed up by the larger agencies. So this, this bill is gonna focus on providing funding for agencies with 200 or less sworn personnel. It's an opportunity to address our physical and mental 
health needs, and I, I'm excited about it, and, and I want to be here to say thank you. All right. Now, some of y'all may or may not be familiar. So are y'all hip hoppers? We got some rap heads in the building. Um, KRS-One, you all should know him, goddammit. I know some of y'all is young up in here. I don't give a goddamn. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you are a fan of rap music, you need to understand some of the foundations. KRS-One has a very seminal song called Black Cop. Black cop, black cop, black cop. Stop shooting black people. You all got to stop. You don't even get paid a whole lot. Take your four or five and put the pun lock, lock. Sorry, sorry. I got a little hyped up. Listen, listen, listen. Raphael Warnock having the support of black police does not <laughs> change my mind about him at all. In fact, it just reinforces to me that he is there to uphold the agenda of the state. And the state's whole purpose when it comes to law enforcement is to make sure that black people and non-white people stay in their place right they want to make sure that they stay in their place there is a school to prison pipeline there is stop and frisk there is all sorts of law enforcement apparatuses in place to ensure that the jails remain filled with black and brown folks okay so for Raphael warnock to stand shoulder to shoulder with law enforcement tells me that he just wants to uphold and continue that system of power okay that to me was an anti defund the police ad without ever saying I don't support defunding the police, which we already know that he does not. And I'm telling you, that does not make me feel safer. If I were a Georgian, would I feel safer with Senator Warnock or Senator Walker? And I'm trying to tell you, <laughs> I I'm I can't know. I, I'm not sure if I can pick the 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 lesser of those two evils to be quite honest. And again, I hear people when they talk about abortion, but guys, look at what is going away under this Biden White House. Look at the ways in which Democrats squad it up, pun intended, you know, to kneecap the rights to strike by the railroad workers union members, right? I mean, that that would, the Democrats did that. And Warnock was smart enough not to vote on the shit, by the way. Warnock was out of town. He was not even in D.C. when those votes were going down. Warnock said, I got a campaign. Uh, Y'all not going to be able to pin this on my record. But, sir, your record is already long enough with other things. And, and, and to Warnock's credit, let me just say this, because on another channel that I appear on, Black Power Media, one of my comrades, Kalanji Changa, who is the founder of the FTP movement, uh, made the point that Raphael Warnock, Reverend Warnock, when the state of Georgia murdered via execution Troy Davis, um, an, an innocent man by all accounts, Reverend Warnock showed up and was trying to get the execution of Troy Davis not to happen. Um, so I'm glad that he might have had some radicalism in him at one point. But once you go to the Senate and you become a senator, your job is to uphold the rule of power, okay, and the rule of law. And black people in this country, non-white people in this country do not have that power. Shout out to Tony Dallas with your super chat support. Thank you so much. Tony says, rape by cop is a massive problem. Unless you purge the bad apples from the ranks, public trust will flounder. And... Tony Dallas also goes on to say, Walker needs therapy, not a Senate seat. I think they all need therapy. <laughs> um, I think Herschel, Herschel's problems were just a little bit more easier to see, and his intentions were pretty transparent. It is the liberals, truly. It's the Black misleadership class that I think 
is very dangerous, um, not only to the black community, but to well-intentioned white folks who who look at, at, at a Raphael Warnock and contrast him against somebody like Herschel Walker. You would think, you know, he's the he's he's the more reasonable selection, the obvious choice. And, and to, to, to some extent, you're not wrong. Um, but when Raphael Warnock supports, when he supports all of the things that enable the systems of oppression to keep us down, then, then that's not something that I am reassured about. And speaking of the systems of oppression, <laughs> um, this person continues to oppress us uh, with their political opinions. And of course, I'm talking about none other than Van Jones. You guys know Van Jones, right? Do you? Van Jones, uh, the same one who got up there, well, first of all, part of the Obama White House. Again, we talk about the black misleadership class. Let me say this real quick before I get into Van Jones. Barack Obama was the most successful op ever. Run, not just run on America, but run on black America specifically because Barack was the, the culmination of the dreams of those of the civil rights movement, those the non-radical wing of the civil rights movement, let me say, not part of the the the, the black radical movement that came out of the sixties and seventies, but the more traditionalist, I suppose, uh, the the kings, the John Lewis, and King himself obviously had some radical viewpoints, but you know saw black people assimilating into the political system as a means of hopefully asserting and gaining some more political power. And Obama was the real realization of that. But what did Obama do when he got into office? He chastised black people and told us to pull our pants up, right? <laughs> uh, Barack Obama deposed via force, via regime change, a leader in Africa of Muammar Gaddafi in Libya. Would you like to know the state that Libya is in now? Horrific. Thanks, Obama. He also tried to enable regime change in Syria. He also authorized uh, the, the, the back the blue law. Didn't he have a law, the back the blue law to make sure the police absolutely got more money. Barack Obama bailed out the big banks instead of bailing out black homeowners and black wealth fell sharply under Barack Obama. A very successful op, <laughs> might I say, because Barack Obama snowed a lot of us. And let me count myself in this, y'all. I went and knocked on doors for Obama in Pennsylvania in 2008. Do you understand what kind of a fucking idiot I feel like now? I feel like the I feel like a tremendous dummy. It is always a self-drag to me. And that's why I, I'm not embarrassed to say that I knocked on doors for Obama because, you know, I, when when I was a babe, I when I was a child, I did childish things, right? And even though I'm not complete in my political evolution, I understand now that the Democrat and the liberal policies are there to lull us to sleep. They are class division policies, they are racial division policies, and they are there to keep us sleep and subjugated. And Obama did an outstanding job of that, and he's still very effective even to this day. Um, so wait, hold on, oh, so Van Jones. <laughs> Let me get to Van Jones, because that's where Van Jones got his start in the Obama White House. Now, this is what Van Jones said last night in New York, and I don't have a clip, how I wish I did, because I would love to have heard this. I, I, I would love to hear to her the delivery, uh, but per uh, Jacob Cornblue, do I have that tweet? Colin, ah, there we go. So keynoting uh, the UJA Fed New York, yep, 
uh, at the Wall Street dinner, Van Jones apologized to the Jewish community, quote, for the silence of my community, end quote, allowing, quote, an African-American icon praising Hitler and Nazis. And we act like we don't know where that hatred came from. Hmm? We, we do what now? <laughs> and then he went on to, to go on to say, yay, nah, yay, nah, and said that the silence ends now. The silence ends now. So about that. First of all, let's be clear. Van Jones, nor Kanye West, nor Barack Obama, nor Raphael Warnock, nor Joanne Reed, uh, nor a lot of people. Black people are not a monolith, and there's no one Black person that speaks for all Black people. We all have shared interests. We all have shared oppressions and challenges that are unique to the Black American community, but nobody speaks directly for us, Kanye especially. So for Van Jones to say, to, to denote himself the singular voice of Black America and took it upon himself to go in there and apologize to white folks uh, for nobody in Black America condemning Kanye just tells me that all the previous shit that Kanye said, degrading women, uh, degrading even his own partners and his anti-Black statements regarding slavery is a choice, and Harriet Tubman didn't free nobody and all the other shit that he has said years leading up to the anti-Semitism. That just shows me what kind of a coon Van Jones is. Because if Van Jones really gave a fuck, he would have said something when Kanye was popping off his misogynistic shit. He would have said something when Kanye was popping off with his anti-black shit, which he has done quite a bit. But it wasn't until, it wasn't until Kanye affected a segment of white folks a, an oppressed segment of white folks, well, not, let me say, marginalized sex segment of white folks. Um, it wasn't until he said something about that marginalized group did Van Jones decide to speak up. And let's be clear, Jewish people have absolutely been marginalized globally throughout history, but I can tell you who never marginalized Jewish people, and that's Black Americans, okay? And even Kanye talking that dumb shit, praising Hitler, Again, Kanye don't speak for us, okay? So I don't feel the need to apologize for Kanye, but I will condemn Kanye in his comments because at one point I was a fan of his and it's been a long time since then, but because I have even ever in my lifetime spent money in Kanye West's direction, that's why I ever said anything, okay? And not to say that Van Jones watches my show. I'm sure he does not. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure he does not, but it wasn't just me. It, it's been a lot of black people out here condemning Kanye for a very long time. And had he been gotten out of the proverbial paint for the previous shit that he said, he never would have had the opportunity to have such a large microphone to when he would have spewed his anti-Semitic anti -Semitic remarks, right? And, and that just tells me Van Jones don't care about black people <laughs> and especially does not care about women nor and especially does not care about black women. Because let me say this real quick about Kanye's misogyny and people can make an argument about rap music having a lot of misogynistic lyrics. And that is correct and accurate. Not all rap, but a, a, a not insignificant amount of rap. But Kanye has had a very bad habit in addition to his anti-Semitism. But again, he was anti-woman before he got to his anti-Semitism. He has a very bad habit of um, demeaning his former partners publicly in the press when they break up. 
okay? And he demeaned loudly and disgustingly uh, at least two of his previous black exes, Amber Rose and his former fiance named Alexis, said very disparaging things about them in the press. Nobody fucking said boo about it. It wasn't until he started talking shit about his ex-wife, Kim Kardashian. They're like, Kanye, that's very violent and abusive. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And if you'd have noticed when he was saying it about black women, maybe him saying it about Kim Kardashian it wouldn't come as a big fucking surprise. Okay, but Kanye also part of the black misleadership class. And I want us to play this clip about uh, uh, from Malcolm X from years ago. And if you, if you move in lefty Twitter spaces, Likely you have seen this clip, but this clip is evergreen, baby, because Malcolm does not fucking miss. And to put this clip in some historical context, okay, so this is when Malcolm X was still part of the Nation of Islam. This was before he was excommunicated from the nation. So you're going to hear in this clip him praise um, Elijah Muhammad, who was the leader of the Nation of Islam at the time. So I want you to hear the parts of this in which you can easily insert Kanye West's name <laughs> as, as a black entertainment clown slash buffoon. And when you can very clearly insert Van Jones's name as, as the Negro interviewer sent into the black community to gather information, but the black community does not trust them. So keep that in mind, keep the historical context that I've set forth in mind and check out Malcolm X never fucking missing. Let's go. Now, uh, concerning the uh, poll taken by Newsweek magazine, I think you said that this was the leaders who said that, uh, who went with King and against Mr. Muhammad around 90%. I just told you a little while ago, these leaders that they call leaders, this included Lena Horne, this included Dick Gregory, and this included comedians, comics, trumpet players, baseball players. Show me in the white community where a comedian is a white leader. Show me in the white community where a singer is a white leader or a dancer or a trumpet player is a white leader. These aren't leaders. These are puppets and clowns that uh, have been set up over the white community and or over the black community by the white community and have been made celebrities and usually say exactly what uh, they know that the white man wants to hear. And it is an honor, actually, that they endorsed Dr. Martin Luther King and uh, uh, were against the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. That's actually an honor. Now, when you say that they also, in this same Newsweek poll magazine, they, I think the pollster said that he went into the Negro community and asked about the Muslims. And many Negroes whom he asked said, well, I never heard of the Muslims. Who are they? You know, this, this is the rank and file we're talking about. Oh, yeah. About. Now, yeah. when they got down to the rank and file, this was the answers that they got. Uh, this is equivalent to uh, the situation in Kenya during the Mau Mau uprising when many uh, frightened uh, whites in Kenya, Africa, would go among the Africans and ask them, what about the Mau Mau? And the African would say, I never heard of them. And the same white man who would ask the African this question and very naively believe what the African said, when he went to bed that night, he would lose his head. And usually the one who took his head was the same African who told him that afternoon he had never heard of the Mau Mau. Uh, except uh, in the Newsweek poll, they used Negro interviewers. You'll find that oftentimes Negroes are as much on guard uh, around Negro interviewers who usually represent the bourgeois uh, element of Negroes as they are on guard around whites. Uh, usually Negroes know that when this bourgeois Negro walks through the door, he is not doing something that he's initiated himself, 
but he's involved in something in which the white man is the absolute author of and has sent him to the Negro community for some information. And when they give that Negro some information, usually they give him the information that they want, the white, want him to take back to the white man because that's who he's going to take it back to. Malcolm Max, poet, prophet, revolutionary, black radical, say his fucking name. Y'all, he, he could have very easily been talking about Kanye West and Van Jones. And listen, let me just, and I want to say this really for the, for the non-black viewers, okay? You heard what Malcolm said. Like, does anybody go to Jerry Seinfeld and ask him, <laughs> what, 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 what's up with this vote? What do you think about the way Bernie Sanders voted? Or does anybody go, should, they totally should, but does anybody go to Tom Brady and ask him about Donald Trump election denialism? No, it is the black community almost exclusively in which our celebrities are expected to to be representatives for the entire race, okay? And you need to stop asking people who dribble basketballs, and not to say that people who dribble basketballs and people who sing and entertain don't have um, opinions and they should be free to, to express them and be be willing to be criticized if, if those opinions are very wayward and harmful in the ways that Kanye's are. Um, but you, you don't see that. <laughs> you don't you don't see those same expectations for white celebrities to speak up on behalf of political issues that undoubtedly affect them as well and affect the country at large. And it's very unfair uh, to put these expectations of good, well thought out, well researched answers on black celebrities who are not experts in these realms. Right. And with Van Jones, and I said that to say, so so non-white people, I mean, pardon me, non-black people watching this, when you see somebody like Van Jones talk about, I'm apologizing on behalf of black America, I need you guys to discredit that shit in your own heads. Because I assure you, Van Jones has been well discredited in, in the black community. This motherfucker got up there and cried big tears uh, because of Donald Trump and said that Donald Trump was a great president and did some very good things for the country. Van Jones has been pivotal and he's almost the perfect example. Well, next to Obama, of course, he's almost the perfect representative of, of the black misleadership class because he will align himself with the most powerful, the most wealthy individuals within the society in order to advance his own platform, his own financial interests, you know, his, his own accumulation of power. Cried over Trump, kicks it with Jeff Bezos and going to apologize <laughs> on behalf of black people, uh, on behalf of Kanye West, a clown, a coon. Okay. Now white folks, y'all can't call him a coon. I'm going to say it for everybody. Coon. Okay. That's what coons do. And, and y'all need to discredit the black misleadership class. Okay. And I know it's tough when we're trying to build political power and you see black Democrats and you hope, you know, somebody might do the right thing, but uh, they are in those positions for a reason. They have been elevated to the bourgeoisie and to the elite for a reason, because they are not there to advance the interests of the people as demonstrated in this recent railroad workers vote in which Democrats shut it down. Um, and, and, and I'm not, I'm not reassured uh, that our rights to vote, to have access to abortion care, these things still remain extremely precarious and oftentimes unavailable and inaccessible under democratic leadership. And that's why I think we need to reassess the ways in which we prioritize electoral politics and we actually need to start organizing and building grassroots 
street-led movements, which is why I appreciate channels like Status Quo because uh, Jordan talks to the organizers, he talks to the labor union members, and we get the real story. But goddamn, y'all, if we if if we're trying to vote our way to freedom, we will be voting for a thousand years. I think it's way quicker to burn it down and rebuild it in a hundred years. But that's my time. Hey, big up. Um, who was I? Humorous. Long time no see. Humorous. Appreciate you. Come through. Uh, let me read Humorous's uh, super chat and then we're going to push off. So Humorous says, anyone who meets the constitutional criteria to run for office should be allowed and be on the ballot to do so. In this country, that's not a fact. There's a lot in this country that's not a fact. There's a lot in this country that's not a fact. The whole public relations machine of uh, democracy and liberty in the United States has been extremely well executed, and a lot of us have fallen um, and, and taken the bait. But anyway, guys, that's my time. Thank you all so much. My deep, deepest apologies to, to, to Colin for holding him hostage. Thanks so much, Jordan. Just really quick, y'all. COVID is out here jumping on people, so please... Kindly keep wearing your masks, mask indoors, wash your hands, social distance. Thank you so much to the fire fam for checking me out. And if you're interested in my, 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 my little spiel on things, you can go over to my channel, burn it down with Kim Brown on YouTube. I do a live show every Tuesday and Friday, 7 PM. You can follow me online, Facebook, Instagram at B I D W K B. Follow me on Twitter at burn it down. KB. And thank you so much to Jordan and Colin. I will see you guys next Wednesday.